Welcome back to another episode of Trending Thoughts. I'm your host, Tori Smith, and I'm excited this time. We brought the camera out. I'm still learning how to use it and got my brother, Will Blackman, on here. 12-year NFL veteran, DB in this league. And now, more than that, he also is a Super Bowl champion with the Giants. I want to get into that a little bit. But also, he's the wine MVP. Welcome to the show, bro. What's good? I'm excited. I, I couldn't wait to, uh, for you and I to, to chop it up. You know, we, we're always talking and, and conversing through social media or once in a while through text. But, yeah, I'm excited, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, I wanted to get one football thing out of the way because I, I do have a little bit of beef with you, and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Seriously, man, you won the Super Bowl my rookie year in 2011. I still have nightmares because we should have been in the Super Bowl and we would have whooped y'all. <laughs> We would have beat y'all. That Ravens team was the real deal. And we folded in New England and y'all took care of business. But I just had to get my oh, that's, hate out. That's the, that's the drop at the end of the game, right? You know, football is more than one play, but there was a, a drop. No, but there. that was the game, right? <laughs> yeah, there was a. No, no, just making sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, so his was, his was crazy about that. Listen, you got two. Chill out, bro. Okay. <laughs> First of all. <laughs> Okay, you got two on two different teams, but that year was crazy because all we were, all we knew uh, when I was at the Giants is we did not want to go to New Orleans and play New Orleans. That's all we cared about. And so when San Fran got it done, we were like, "All right, we about to lock this up." Hmm, that's real. I'm I tell you what, when we, we were watching. We had the night game, so <laughs> we were like, "All right, you know, we're gonna get it done," and we ended up losing, man. But. I just had to get my hate out the way. Anyone from oh, that team, awesome. I had to let them know I feel some type of way. Because when we lost, you know, it was my rookie year. I didn't really know how to take it. I was all emotional. <laughs> and, like, I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I didn't do anything. I was salty, man. Because I was like, I can't believe we, were that, believe we were that close. You know, I'd only really been to a couple bowl games at college. At Maryland, we went to the Idaho Potato Bowl out at Boise. <laughs> Bro, I played in that game. For real? Oh, my. Okay, so funny story, right? So, 2006 was my, uh, uh, no, 2005 was my senior year. And I remember we went to the, I went to the ACC meeting, right? Where all the captains go and all the veterans go, whatever. So we met and I remember we got a gift bag and we got this, this keychain and it was the NPC computer ball at the time. And it had like the cool, cool little laser light on it. And I remember Matthias Kiwanuka looked at me. He was like, Hey bro. He said, don't put that on your keychain. I was like, it's a keychain, bro. Like, what he said, do not, do not put that on your keychain. I'm like, man, whatever, bro. I don't care what you say. Like, I don't believe in that superstition stuff, right? So we played well that year. I think we finished like 20th, whatever. But we saw the bowl bids, and sure enough, we went to the NPC computer bowl game. <laughs> when we got selected to play in that bowl game, he looked at me from across the room. He was like, I told you don't put that on your keychain. Like, I, hey, I can only imagine the superstitions and things that come into play with that, man. Uh, I know I would have felt the same way. You are 100% the reason why your team went to that bowl game. <laughs> but if you want to be, you want to talk about being bitter. So the, the year we won the Super Bowl, um, the year before that, I was on the Packers. So Ooh. I got drafted to, I was on the Packers from six to 10. Okay. And because my knee did not fully heal and I wasn't healthy, I got released the year Green Bay won the Super Bowl. Okay. I don't want to, so I don't want to hear that's why wow. I came back next year with a vengeance. We actually had to go to Green Bay to beat them to go to San Fran. So we can get into that. But that's a story to tell, though, because you, you know, that's a major testimony. You go, you get released, and you're like, man, 
I don't think I'll ever get to that situation again. You just don't know. You yeah, know, well, kinda- not not just as a team, but physically, because my my knee was trash, bro. You know, and so because what happened was my surgery wasn't done properly. So I'll get into that anyway. So when I got released in 2010, I remember I came home. My wife, she was seven months pregnant, I believe. And we were just like, oh, my gosh, you got to be kidding me. You know, what are we going to do? And this is right after McCarthy showed us the uh, he had an empty picture of the of the 2010 championship team. Like there there was nobody. He was like, fill it up. We were excited, motivated. All the wives on the team were pregnant. That's like the Super Bowl superstition. You know, like all that (laughs) stuff was going on. I got released. So I remember she woke up the next morning. She said, I had a dream. You went to the Giants. I was like. Shauna, I was like, go to bed. You know, I'm not trying to hear all that. And sure enough, 10 minutes later, my agent called me. He was like, hey, Giants want to bring you in. So I go there, end up failing my physical because my knee wasn't properly healed. But what they said is, we trust you. You said you can run and we like you. We'll let you work out. So when I worked out for the Giants at the time, the player personnel guy was uh, Dave Gettleman. Mm. Jerry Reese was still the GM, but Gettleman was the guy who worked people out. And for some reason, by the grace of God, I, I, killed that workout and Gettleman was like, we're going to sign you right now. So he signed me on the spot, ended up playing that year, didn't do well. But what happened was, you know, when you sign with the team, they give you a waiver saying like, if you're injured, you're, we're not responsible. Right. So I did sign the waiver because I just wanted to play. But at the end of the year, this is why I hold Giants at a hard regard. So they took that waiver. They put me in the office, took the waiver, ripped it up. They said, listen, they said your knee needs to get fixed. They said, pick any doctor, any rehab facility, and we'll flip the bill. We'll take care of it. So I picked, I picked a doctor in California, picked a trainer, and I wasn't even on the team anymore. They released me afterwards. They terminated my contract. But I sent them bills from January all the way to August, and they covered every single one from all medical bills. I wasn't wow. on the team. And then Jerry Reese was like, he was like, hey, man, you know, when you're healthy, give me a call. You know, courteous, give me a call. We'll bring you back. And damn it, when I got healthy, I called Jerry Reese. And sure enough, he brought me back and ended up winning the Super Bowl with New York. So that was wow. That, that's a rare, that's a rare situation, bro. Yeah. So I, I hold them in high regard for that. That's rare on so many levels. One, because of how they took care of you. Yep. Uh, we know the ugly side of this business as players. When you get an injury, you're almost like trash, right? It's a business and you're the product and you're only as good as the supply. And right. So they will go on to the next person. But also... You know, that that story helped my bitterness some. You know, that's your <laughs> that is 100. That's your, that's your ring, right? I'm not I'm not mentioning it anymore. Every Giants player who I see from that team now, I'm going to keep my salt to the side. Yeah. It doesn't exist anymore, man. That's, that's a great story. I'm glad everything all worked out for you. But you went from playing, get to the Super Bowl, and actually finished up with 12 years. And then you end up being the wine MVP. You know, a lot of guys struggle trying to figure out what they're into as they transition out right. of the league. How did you end up finding like your niche with wine? Man, it's, it was crazy. Cause I just, I just always enjoyed it, you know, just casually in college. And then when I got to the pros and wine has this, this stigma of it's intimidating, it's not approachable. And my rookie year, somebody who was fully into wine was Charles Woodson. You know, and, and he's somebody I, I watched growing up and I admired and now he's my teammate. And so to have somebody who's heavily invested in wine, who looks like me, who plays the same position in sport as me. But not only did he enjoy drinking wine, he had his own wine label back in 2006. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's crazy. You know, so 
I thought I really just resonated with that and connected with that. And so every away game, he would take the defensive backs out to dinner and he would buy dinner and he would buy wine. So I just really enjoyed it. And at the time, I had no idea what varietals. I had no idea of the labels, none of that stuff. And then, you know, being being professional athlete, you get to go to all these corporate events and what have you. So I got invited to a bunch of stuff in Milwaukee at the time. And they were just guys who were, you know, they would take wine, kind of talk over my head, you know, swirl it around, talk about the legs, all this cool extra stuff. And but I was just really curious. I wanted to know. I just wanted to know more on my own. So the more and more I got to study, the more and more I got to learn about it. I was like, okay, this is this is pretty cool because it was more it was more than just the wine. It was the history that I fell in love with. And the same way I fell in love with football was the same way I fell in love with wine. It was the history. My dad used to have all these old school VHS NFL film tapes, you know, with John Facenda and Steve Sable and Sam Spence with the music. And that's kind of how I fell in love with wine. So that's kind of that's where I became, I guess you can say, a connoisseur. But then once I, I really dug deep down inside is when I saw that documentary song that was on Netflix that talked about these three guys training to be four guys training to be master sommeliers, which is like the highest level you can be as a wine professional. And um, once I watched that, I was like, damn, dude, like I want to I want to learn how to evaluate wine like that. So immediately after one season, I found a, a class near my house in California and jumped in and took level two. And it was through the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, uh, which is based out of the UK, but they have it here as well. So I took level two. And once I took level two, that just changed everything I thought about wine in terms of not being subjective and, and to become more appreciative. So I think from that, when I took that course and got my level two certification, that's when I really got smoked by the wine book. So now you do events and things as well, right? Yeah. So to take it further, I'll just take you through the whole thing. So it's funny when I came back, this is when I was with Washington now. And I remember after practice, I, I found out that Leesburg in Virginia is like a really mm -hmm. popping like wine area, which I had no idea. And it was like 15 minutes from Ashburn. And so I remember going there and just meeting people, shaking hands. And I met this guy named Doug Fabioli at Fabioli Cellars. And he, I was interested. I wanted to help out and just learn more about the viticulture, the whole wine life. So he was like, yeah, come on by. And so what, what I would do is during OTAs after practice, you know, we had what we were done at noon. So we had the whole day. Mm -hmm. So I would get my boots and I would drive, you know, at the time I had a Maserati. I drive that through the mud, <laughs> through the vineyards. I drove it through the vineyards and I would work on the vineyards after practice, all OTAs. And that's, that's what I did. No one really knew about it. I didn't document it much. And I kept learning to know more. So he was kind of, Doug Fabioli was kind of my wine mentor because I would ask him a bunch of questions. And then also too, I would go to Ashburn Wine Shop right there too. There was a guy, Sergio, who ran that place. So I was doing all this homework while I was playing to learn more about this, this field. And then like most athletes or celebrities nowadays, I wanted my own wine label. That's, that's what I wanted initially. So everyone I talked to, they were like, okay, you can have your own wine label, but you can have the best grapes. You can have the best, uh, winemaker, all that stuff, but you still need to be able to sell like anything else, right? You need to have a really good marketing plan. So I'm like, damn, that's kind of scary to have my own. Wine. What if I do have a, a badass wine and it doesn't sell? Then I just wasted a bunch of money. Right. And so, you know, I remember trying to intern and learn, learn and work at these wine shops to learn how it worked. So I was like, you know what? I have such an extensive and a cool and a unique network of people who do like wine, who want to learn more about wine. 
So why not just, I can create some kind of concierge service where like I am the, the wine plug, like how people have all these shoe plugs. Like I could be the wine plug to people, to, to athletes. So that's where the, the wine MVP came about. Initially it was NFL wine guy, but I felt like I did talk to the NFL about the acronym NFL and I know they wanted to do something. So Mm-hmm. NFL, the wine MVP, I felt was a crossover to any sport and it, and it worked really, really well. Like you can be the MVP of anything. So that's where the wine MVP came from. That's good stuff, man. And yeah. I think there's a lot to take away from that one is that you were working on your plan and it was something that you actually passionate about why you were playing because right. so often guys are going home and they're playing video games the whole rest of the day during OTAs. Like it's the perfect time to work on something else for your transition. I actually talked about that last week on the podcast in terms of guys and it, the topic was more so branding, but yeah. it was like, you have to do what you do things to figure out what you like, because when it's done, it's done. And like, it's harder to connect those dots and get in those doors. So it's better to use that free time you have then. So therefore when you transition, you're in a better place. And I think but the, that's the awesome. key thing you said though, is use the free time then, you know, cause I wasn't like during the season, I wasn't out there getting smacked and, drinking all the time and working on these vineyards on, you know, on my day off on a Tuesday, like that was, right. I took that day off and recovered because it was all about Sunday. So I, I, I agree with, with all that in terms of like the, the branding, the players, this it, players doing all the things they, they can for like off the field stuff. But as long, as long as it doesn't get in the way, that's why I loved Rivera's quote, because I said that too, like, I want you want guys that love playing professional football, not guys that love being professional football players, you know, because it's it's I've seen a lot. of I know you have to. You've seen so many guys that are they're so excited to be an NFL player. <laughs> they, they're so excited yeah, to be there, to be in the same locker room as like, you know, in your case, like Ed Reed or whatever. And to, you know, have a blue check. And they're just so excited of the lifestyle. And it's like, OK, yes, be excited, be be grateful for it, you know, Um but keep the main thing, the main thing, you know, that's why I get like a lot of things are misconstrued, especially, especially when older guys are talking on social media, like, Oh, this young guy needs to do this. And it's like, everyone says the old head, the old head. It's like, okay. It's, it's so hard to say it without people looking at it different. That's social media in general, right? Like you see an article, you, people don't read the article. They just see the headline like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, read, read the article. You know, like when Drew Brees came out and said what he said about the flag, I was like, let me listen to it first. Oh, okay, it is what it is. Then, <laughs> you know, then. <laughs> I was like, let me let, let me listen to it and see because people can misconstrue things. I was like, oh, he, okay, then he said it. All right, and I can't help him out there. So, no, nah, it, it's it's cool, man, and and I agree with that because I tell people the the two hardest things being a professional athlete is your transition into your sport, right? Because I didn't take a class that taught me finance. I didn't take a class that taught me how to do all these things. You, I, I got drafted. I had to buy a house. I had to get a car. Now I have bills. I have all these things, but you still got to perform. But then you, you eventually get adjusted and acquainted to that. And then the hardest thing is when you leave, right? It's like taking the hamster off the wheel. It's like, now what? Like, what do I do? You, you, you and I talked before we got on camera and you were like, the hardest thing is to, is to create a routine, create your own schedule, you know? I played football from ages six to 34. My schedule was made for me the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) That's real, man. Literally think of everything from high school, middle school, even even when you're a kid, you know, the fall looks a certain way. The spring looks a certain way. I go to school. I come home. 
a little bit of time for homework. I go to practice, go to practice, come home, homework. I mean, from age of six all the way right. to now. Like the biggest adjustment for me, I was talking to my wife about it. Like I retired and, you know, I have so many different things that I'm into. So I'm very busy, but I felt like I wasn't being as efficient with my work. Right. Um, just simply because I was all over the place. Like I have a meeting scheduled at six at night or something in the morning. Like I didn't realize it was taking me away from being the best husband that I could be. Yes, sir. Or even the best father that I can be simply because I'm all over the place. Yet I never really did any one thing great. And so I've, that's been a major goal of mine this year. I literally established my own work hours, whether that's doing stuff for Level 82, our fund, or other business ideas and ventures I have, or just simply communicating with other people. I have a window now for that. Yes. But I had to create it. And now we are only a couple weeks into this. I have an office space now, so I get out the house, I can do work. And But when I come home, I'm present because present. I was... I was I was in the presence of people, but I wasn't present. And so that's been a major, like kind of like I don't want to say New Year's resolution, but that's a focus of mine because again, that's a huge adjustment. Like and, and players, again, it's like you have it, you said it, you're on that 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 wheel, that hamster wheel. And then just like that, it's done. It's like now what do you do? You know, you can't just sit around and play video games all day. You know, everyone isn't rich. You have to figure out. You know, yeah, there's a, there's a burn rate now. There's a burn rate. You know, I was majority of the guys are living how they live because that was the, that's their lifestyle. You know, I, I bought the house we bought. I bought while we were playing. Why? Because that was that's what we, we were able to afford while I'm playing. You know, so, yes, I'm fortunate to have savings. I'm fortunate. You know, I have pensions coming up. But at the same time, like if I'm not being active in all that stuff, I, you know, People are gonna make have to make adjustments. So yeah, a lot of people can't sit there and play games all day. And now and that was huge that you said that because I actually had a huge discussion with my wife years ago about that. You know, just being present because everything was on the go. Everything, mm-hmm. you know, was on the go. I, I had I was playing from Monday through Saturday, and I was fortunate because she understood the football. Like she knew that everything was like football, right? But still, to be present, and I think that's what that's what COVID allowed me to do is to really invest in my family. And I understood that because I, I realized there were some days where I'd be in my office the whole day, the whole day, because like you said, you know, I was doing the wine stuff. I was doing the TV stuff. You know, I'm helping people train for football. I'm helping people train for media. I'm doing all these speeches and, and found, like I'm doing all these things because I'm trying to help like take care of the family. But it's like, okay, if my son's like, Hey dad, you know, let's play Xbox real quick. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. Just like, no, like, put the stuff down. Go play Xbox, bro. Like, go do that stuff. So it's funny you say create a schedule because this is not a plug by any means, but there's a there's an app called Calendly. It's called, it's like Calendar, but Calendly. Calendly. And so I, it's like, like office. Over here. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, sir, it's like office hours. So literally when a company hits me up, hey, you know, we, I like to have a meeting, blah, blah. And I literally send them the link. And it pulls up a calendar and it uses like office hours and it's, it's majority it's zoom. You can do a zoom or call, but I do zoom. And by usually by one o'clock um, Pacific time, I'm done. So anytime from like eight to those, those that eight to one, that window, you can pick any time that I have available and I can customize it based on what I have that day. And then after one o'clock, I'm done taking meetings. I'm out the office. Um, 
maybe i maybe i'll you know i'll be on my phone for like email stuff like that but after that i'm done and that just changed everything because i mean going i go for walks with my wife like an old couple you know my son comes here do this my daughter wants to learn she's sick she wants to learn multiplication all right you know i <laughs> all that so i have plenty of time so i'm 100 in agreement with that yeah and that's crazy i wish i, I wish we'd have had this conversation two three months ago i would have been headed a curve <laughs> But uh, that's what I'm on right now. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. So that's real life for so many of, of us, especially uh, living during the pandemic. You know, you have to be able to adjust and you have to be able to look at yourself, see where you're weak, things you can work on and things that could be better for your family. So that's what I did. And that's the plan that I'm on. So hopefully, you know, I'm caught up to where you are, you know, these next few months. I'm but still I'm- rolling. I'm still figuring it out. But that's <laughs> but that's the that's the maturation process. And also that's the that's the beauty of playing several years in our profession is you, you learn that, you know, you, you, there are days where you're like, okay, this doesn't make sense. This isn't good. And you, and you have the, uh, the awareness to look around like, okay, you know, I haven't, I haven't talked to my wife till until like 9 PM. Like that shouldn't happen. Or my son's upstairs. I'm watching him. I can see him right. You know, if he's home playing video games and I'm like, ah, oh, she's just playing, not talking. My daughter's in the other room. You know, okay. Even at dinner, sometimes and I'm like, all right, I need to. It's me. I need to adjust and fix all that stuff. You know, so that's real, man. Because yep. we're in the same boat. So I appreciate you <laughs> being, being transparent about that. We'll sure. be active, man. Like you said, <laughs> let's, we need to talk more because no one talks. We don't. We don't know what people are trying to figure out or adjust. You know, or, or struggle with. So I think that's something to be more proactive with too. And and I try to. I'm trying to do a better job of reaching out and helping other guys. That's real, man. And Speaking of helping other guys, there was a team that you were helping, you know, as you finished up in the league, and that was the Washington football team. <laughs> the name wasn't the same then, but it, it was wasn't the Washington the football then. team. Yep. <laughs> How do you feel about their recent success? You know what? I always say this. I said with, with, any, or with any football organization, the foundation is upstairs, mm. right? Because most teams, the – you know, the executives are on the top floor. Um, Jacksonville, it's one one level. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's up. You're so silly. <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> the foundation is upstairs. And that's where it starts. You know, the owner has to make key decisions. And then the president has to make key decisions. And then the general manager has to make key decisions. And then the head coach has to make key decisions. And it goes all the way down. And then you see the final product when you get the players on the field. And for, for a long time, Washington has struggled upstairs getting on the same page um and and the reason why is i I seen what i seen what it looks like i've been fortunate to to be in green bay as we mentioned for four years and see how they got it done with i I have this like four-year plan when you get a new head coach it's four years to get it right and i seen what it looks like in new york can't be able to handle adversity and still overcome And, and then i saw what it looked like for a little bit in seattle when i was there in training camp I should have had three wins because I was there in 13 and I got released in 13 went to Jacksonville and they won the Super Bowl. So I should have three oh rings. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> then, and then I saw in Jacksonville where, the, I mean, they started from scratch, new owner, new head coach, new GM. And I saw what it looked like and what wasn't going right. So I seen every aspect. So to go to Washington and to see the power struggle from the top with Bruce Allen and Scott McLuhan and Dan Snyder to see all those guys not on the same page, it trickled down, you know, and then not on the same page as our, at the time was Jay Gruden, our head coach, it trickled down. And then you have the, the, the strongest part of that team was, was the players. 
because Scott, Scott McLuhan, he understood what it took at that time. So he literally that year, he went and got a bunch of outcast veterans, guys who play good football, guys who can, you can plug and play and they can easily adapt because we, we won a division with, I don't think we had any Pro Bowls. I think D'Angelo Hall was the only guy who made the Pro Bowl. All Deshaun Golston too made the Pro Bowl, but that was like years before. Mm-hmm. And we had a bunch of outcasts end up winning the division because we were able to just figure it out. Um, but it was hard to advance because we saw all the things going on. Even, okay, do we play Kirk? Do we bench our RG? You know, do we, all these things going on? And it, it was just, it, it was just nuts. So that's why I, I'm over here, you know, campaigning for Ron Rivera to be coach of the year because <laughs> no, seriously, because he went in, in that place and just completely changed everything. Cause if Ron was, if it was another coach there, they would not win one game. I'm sorry. That would be the truth for what they have gone through. And I agree. he was able, he was able to clean. He literally remodeled it. I said his, I said his, what he's doing should be on HGTV. Cause he's, he's doing a, a massive remodeling job to that place. And for them to, I don't care if it's seven wins for them to actually get into the playoffs alone is, is incredible with what he has gone through. You know, I actually cover Washington with NBC sports Washington. That's right. And being able to see up and close and personal and also have an opportunity to play for coach Rivera two years ago. Mm-hmm. I know how he is as a man and I know the culture that he wants to put in place. And being a Virginia native and understanding the culture up there in Washington and the perception of everything, to know what he's up against, like there are so many things he's up against that people in the media that aren't local don't really realize. They don't realize. <laughs> I'm telling you, they don't you. realize that. So for what he's doing, I agree with you. I think he should be coach of the year. And you can say, oh, well, the division's bad. Well, that's not his fault. That's he came fault. in. And his team is in the playoffs, which is the ultimate goal. It doesn't matter how you get there. Right. You just have to get there, and he did it. And also. I think all of the different things he's dealing with outside of coaching, you know, not just his own personal battle with cancer. Yeah. You're talking about the owner, Dan Snyder, still dealing with challenges, right. allegations, lawsuits, whatever it may be. Then you have a quarterback situation, which had, was got ugly real quick, but he continued to handle all of that with class. And it's like, I feel like sometimes like the best people have the strongest challenges for no reason, the toughest battles, and he could they can handle it, yeah, right. And he continued to push through that. And if there was any coach, I said it from the beginning, if there's any coach that can handle Washington, it's Coach Rivera. And look where they are in year one. So excited for them going forward uh, to see what they do in this playoffs. They right. There's, there's only a for. yeah. There's only a few what of that type of like breed, and I feel like it's it's him can handle stuff like that. Coach Tomlin can handle stuff like that, and I would say Pete Carroll can handle stuff like that. You know, Harbaugh. where, where know it's Harbaugh just, yeah, Harbaugh. I mean, yeah, you would know better than I would, but I just, I just look at how Pittsburgh was just dismantled every, there's always something every year. And for some reason they get, a, Tom has a winning record. Like he's That's able crazy. to get it out. He's, he's able to get it out of all these guys, no matter what you lose your quarterback last year, winning record, all these, the AB and Le'Veon Bell stuff went crazy. You, you still get it done. No, no big deal. You know, so I really, I really love what's going on at Washington now because it, it was, it was really hard. It was hard to play there, knowing that it was less about football and more about the political side. You can't win like that. That's real. And speaking of political side, 
I want to talk to you about week 17. That's yes. why we're here. We that's, are really no, that's the main here. thing. Okay, we're done that's with the really other stuff. That's really why we're here. Because, we're done with the other stuff. Because your social media is hilarious, at Will Blackman on everything. His page is hilarious. Uh, and we have, have a good have fun, time bro. cracking jokes. And uh, there's every but there's, day, but there's some truth to our jokes now. There's there's not now. There's, we yeah. laugh, but we keep <laughs> it's a, it's a whole lot of truth to it. But you know, obviously, I, I played in Philadelphia a couple years ago, and some of the fans of Philadelphia, in, including one of my favorite Philadelphia fans, Coach Steve Swope, uh, grew up as one of my favorite coaches as a child, losing their mind over what happened in Week 17. Now, I've been telling people that. One, week 17 shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone. And the only difference was that, is, and this, this is the real, the most important thing is that week 17 looks different for everyone. Yep. And I want us to break it down together. I want to get your perspective first. What did week 17 look like for you, your teammates, your peers, when you knew that you were going to the playoffs? When we knew we were going to the playoffs, then we were just – it was we were getting ready for another week. We were really truly getting for another week, and we we were trying, depending on too like did we have a first round buy? You know who we had next. Let's week. break it down. Have you ever had a buy? Yes, I have. What was that week like? When you know some of the so okay so this was okay this was the most difficult thing in the entire world, right? So 2007 when I was in Green Bay, we won the division. We had a first round buy, but our last game was against the Chicago Bears in Chicago. Packers-Bears, that's a rivalry. We did not care about that game, but we had to play that game because it was <laughs> the rivalry. So <laughs> I just remember we, we went, and plus that game was awful. It was like minus 20, and it was 60 oh miles God. an hour win. It, T, it was horrible, bro. <laughs> and I just know, like, okay, we knew we were good. Let's just let's get in here. Let's move around a bit. Let's play football. Let's let's try to win the game. But if we don't win the game, whatever, bro. Like it's it's not that serious. Like we let's just let's just get in here. It's kind of like how Trevor Lawrence played in the uh, bowl game. Let's just be unscathed, you know, because we, the future is bright for us. Right. So it was kind of like we were good. And then I also been on the opposite end. Um, well, Washington, we had to win to get in when we beat Philly, and then. Same yeah. thing, Giants. Last so week, that is a playoff game. It is a playoff game, yeah. yeah. So I've been in two teams where we had to win to get in uh, in that situation. So, but I, I never, I never been in a, in a situation where we didn't need that last game, other than outside of Green Bay. But I have been on the opposite end where it was meaningless, like legit meaningless. We, it wasn't going to help us. Um, you, you had a choice that week. You know, okay, is this, is this your last, last, your last year on the team? Okay, maybe you want to put out some good tape, you know, but I've been in situations where, you know, not taking it for granted, but I was early in my contract, you know, I was pretty much going to come back next year. So when week 17 approached or when we found out that we weren't making up, let's say we found out we weren't making the playoffs in like week 10, we were, we were eliminated. Well, guess what? My stuff was on the Mayflower headed back to California. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> My wife was like, I'll see you in Cali after the after your game. Like there was, you know, you want you go out there and play football. Yeah, you want to play ball. But it was to the point where, like, when I heard guys running up on Doug Peterson, I'm like, come on now. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll cut it out. Like, that was the part to me. Like, it's like, come on, let's let's be honest. So I've been in the situation when I was in Baltimore and I was in Philadelphia. 
we had the number one and number two seed. So we had the bye week. Okay. Didn't didn't play past the half in either game. All right. That's the that's the good situation. Again, it's important to know it's a meaningless game. Right? Let's go to the opposite side. I've missed the playoffs four times as well. And also, let's be honest, week 17 is a meaningless game. Does that mean you don't play hard? Absolutely not. Because in football, if you half-ass it, you'll get hurt. You'll get hurt. So if you're on the field, you're playing. You're playing to win. But the game plan is different than actually the effort, I feel mm-hmm. like. Does that make sense at all? No, it does. I think sometimes there's strategies. For example, you said game plan. Let's talk about it. Players, all players don't play the same amount of playing time. Week 17 doesn't look the same as week one for a lot right. of players. Right? There may be a young DB who they want to see play. There may be a young receiver that they want to see get more playing time now. So we have to be honest, these, these position switches and lack of playing time and swapping happens all the time in week 17. Right. Now, at the quarterback position, it may not happen as often, right? That is a little – I'm not going to say it's new, but that's not something that happens as often when you know you're missing the playoffs. But this situation in Philadelphia is unprecedented in so many different ways. But I don't feel like – I feel like going into the week, they knew – or at least a few people knew, enough people knew that he was going to play. And Nate, I heard, I heard Emmanuel Acho say it best. And I was tweeting all day about it before then, and I completely missed his story. I would have just rolled that video because he was on fire. Right. Like, people weren't mad that Nate came into the game. They're mad at the result. Because if Nate would have came in and he would have thrown for 200 yards in one quarter, two touchdowns, they knocked Washington out. Now it's like, oh, man, do they have a third quarterback in this in this race? Like, you know, what's going on here? But the right. fact that they went out and he threw an interception on third down, which was basically a punt, and then he gets a bad snap and he fumbles it, and now uh, to everyone outside of Philadelphia's locker room and myself, because I was in that locker room and know how right. talented he is, he's a bum, which that's far from the truth. So I think it's important to note that in week 17, that can happen. Again, that result was the issue. But week 17 does not have the same value as week eight or week one for 90% of the players right. and coaches in the NFL. No, it is. And I always, like I said, the last game is an evaluation. Because guess what happens after that last game? Teams start signing futures. Right. You know, so they want to look at the younger guys and, and do that. So, I mean... Again, it, it, be, it becomes so interesting on how all, how all that works. You know, people are like, oh, Philly want the number six pick. Maybe they didn't want the number six pick. Maybe they did, you know. Right. So maybe if Jalen went out there and kept playing, something happened to him. You know, they're not playing Carson because he can't get hurt because they already owe him a bunch of money. That was kind of like where RG3, I think he was – I don't quote me on that. I think he was making like 16 his in his last year and 15, so – if they played him and he got hurt, then he was guaranteed. guaranteed I think his next year salary, something crazy like that. Um, yeah. But they do stuff like that all the time. It's crazy. Like, yeah, it happens all the time. But people are acting so surprised. But my thing is this: How would you feel if your OG when you were in Washington was D'Angelo Hall? So let's say they decide week seventeen, hey, we're gonna take D'Angelo Hall out, and then you go in and you get torched, and now they're saying that Washington was trying to tank because you got your opportunity to play. <laughs> How right. would that make you feel as a player? 
Nah, you, you would. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, that's still a professional player. Like, it's hard. I don't believe in tanking in the NFL. It's hard. Guys want to. This is the number one reason why. Well, there's multiple reasons. The number one reason is why would I go out there and play horrible as an individual? You have money on the line. You have your safety on the line. You have your pride on the line. No player in the NFL is going out there saying, I'm going to suck. Do bad performances happen? Absolutely. But there's not a single player that goes out there saying that I'm going to suck today. Yeah, they're not They're not saying they're going to go out there. But yeah, bad performances happen because you can be scared and, you know, paralyze yourself and you just don't play well that day. But I, w- I won't say that players are out there on the same page, like I'm on the tank, but I feel like teams, again, strategically – can make that happen when you start when you start rotating guys rotating series you know no one could get in the rhythm you don't know who's who mm-hmm. you know when I was in Washington in 2016 or even 15 like guys are rotating at corner I'm like what is this oh guys are rotating at safety like we can never get in the rhythm or when I was in Jacksonville guys are rotating all over the place you know and I, I can say some of it was due to like okay again evaluating you know Jacksonville was was unique because you got a new general manager and Dave Caldwell he got his quarterback that he wanted and Blake Bortles that's who you know that's who he want no he got him the next year I believe uh, we used to have Blaine but we um he's rotating everybody he's evaluating all the players he inherited Philly is going is going to go through some serious changes so strategically when they knew they were out of it you know they wanted to do some things and look See what happens. You know, if Nate did come in and play super well, and I know Nate from Washington as well, you know, maybe it was like, okay, that, maybe that was his chance or his opportunity. Who knows? You know, so I don't know. They they, they have a, a quarterback situation on their hands. They do. And I want to go back one more time because I think we have to be very clear about the expectations. You already mentioned that if you knew you were out of it, your apartment's already packed. You know, guys are playing games asking, can they stay at somebody else's house? Because their whole house My is family gone went already. home. <laughs> they're turning they're turning their keys. Yeah. The guys are trying to You're ending go. your lease. Yeah. Yeah. Any all of that. Like that happens. So I, I just feel like, and again, none of that says once you step on the field, you're not trying to win a game. Because guys are right. trying to win a game. But this notion that people don't understand and week 17 means the most to every player, that is a flat out lie i've seen so many guys on social media type these lies about how important week 17 is to so many different guys and you have people that i've seen entire units have vacations planned four weeks out where are we going yeah what time is the meeting tomorrow what time is our exit meeting do we have an exit meeting like if we're out at this time let's hit the plane here and we're gone People have families. Man, we're going to Disney World. This season's been stressful. We lost all of these games. We're out. My wife was out of here, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And she was seven months pregnant. Go go back to the crib. You're good. I'll I'll meet you. Especially once we had kids, too. I was like, just go back. But this reminds me, too, of the conversation that happened in the beginning of the year when um, the safety for the Cowboys was like, well, we don't go 100 every – you can't expect us to go 100% every single play. And where the same narrative happened where everyone jumped out like – yeah, if you don't go 100% every play, right. No one, you can't go 100% every play. I get that. But 
you just don't say that though. You don't say it. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's my thing. You don't say it. There, because trust me, there are there are plenty of times where I'm like, okay, you know, I've been fortunate to play receiver in, in college and and you know, cornerback in the pro. So right, if I'm receiver and I, I know it's run away, whew, thank God, you know, okay, I could just get in front of the guy if it's run away. In college, I'm like, I mean, in the pros, I'm like, man, okay, they call cover two. Ooh, all right, you know, I got cover two. Let me just let me just jam and get into yeah, my yeah. area and just, you know, <laughs> and chill out. But yeah, that's but then you had a bunch of people saying, like, you can't say da-da-da-da, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, everyone they like to jump on there and 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 give their their two cents. And that's why it was funny. You said everybody had lined it a lot. There's a lot of there's a lot of cat oh, on my, that app. I will oh say. Oh my goodness, straight <laughs> up. And you that's the perfect example, right? Everyone knows you can't go hundred percent, but you just don't say it. Right. You work right. to your 100 percent doesn't look the same play one as it does the 60th play of the game. Doesn't mean your effort right. isn't 100 percent. Physically, it just isn't the same. But you don't say that in every play. Like and there's certain plays where, you know, you got to pick and choose and you can get your win. Myself, I can't run a deep route every play of the game and expect but to survive. But they made you, but they made you. Right. Like, yeah, I got to run, jog all the way back. My, the next time I'm running, my arms dangling like, you know, I can't even get off the ball. Right. But you just like these are things that you know, and coaches know it too, right? But the effort thing, you could tell when someone's trying to fight through it because you have to in this game. Right. But on the other side of that, when it comes to these games and what's important, and, and week 17, there have been guys that week one, week eight, you're fighting for the playoffs. This hamstring I'm battling with, this groin, my shoulder, my torn labor, I'm playing with, I'm going to war. Right. Week 17 in a meaningless game where we aren't going to the playoffs. That labrum, that offensive lineman is dealing with, he might say, hey, coach. Yeah. Hey, things flaring up today, coach. <laughs> Get me out of here. Yeah. Keep you know, real. and like, so players can't act like they didn't know what was going on or like things were different when they were playing. That's a lie. Guys try to take care of themselves. It's all about the team. And you're always trying to win. But at the end of the day, guys' biggest fear is getting hurt in a meaningless game. That is the biggest thing. Yeah. So, right. That's why you see a lot of guys like, listen, I'm not, I'm not playing in this preseason game. Like, it's not happening. It's, I don't even put me out there. It's not happening. You know why? <laughs> yeah. For for that reason. So, I think fans good. should know that too, though, because that's why you see some preseason games. You're know, like, oh my gosh, this this team. Uh, the offense looked horrible in the preseason. Well, they probably didn't want to play. Right. <laughs> no, no, seriously. They, they, so, right, that's a meaningless game Basic plays. They, they probably didn't want to play. Yeah, and the only time where – like, I'm going to go back to in terms of, like, the effort part. I remember my first game ever was against Miami Dolphins, um, and it was, like, 120 on the field. It was so hot, bro. And I remember their receiver was um, – I think Marty Bookman was the receiver. This is way, way back. And I remember it was probably, like – mid third quarter and we were dying hot sweating and he was about to get off the ball he was like look black he said it's a run bro okay so i'm just letting you know right now <laughs> i said it's a run he's like yeah he says run to the other side so listen on this play like you know i'm like all right bro so we got we got <laughs> we got off the ball we were just like we, were, we just sped up and we're like yeah half fight. And we were like all right good 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 yeah i was like all right because I know we, because I knew I was tired, and I was like, okay, he's definitely tired. He's like, look, like it's just run, you know. And so that was that was funny uh, to me uh, with that. Or I remember when same thing, another Dolphin story. It was Landry when he was a, a rookie, Jarvis Landry, 
and you know he's a rookie, so he's trying to prove a point. And so it was run away. And I remember he he got in me perfect form, got in, got the inside of my pads, sat down, pulled me close, and was just like really, really like working. I was like, bro, like it's toss. Like, like <laughs> I was like, get off me, man. Like he's like, no, no, this 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 how I work. I'm like, I respected that part, but I'm like, it was I was the veteran now, like. I now rook, you know, like uh, I'm gonna take <laughs> care funny. of you now. Yeah, That's a, no, those you. stories are real, man. Like I pra- I practice. I feel like I'm one of the guys that I practice hard as hell because I felt like if I practice well, then I play well. Like I honestly need to totally. feel that, you know. And so I I understand the practices, but still, as you get older, you start to learn. There's still lines and limits to everything because. I will practice so hard sometimes. I'm waking up Sunday morning. I'm like, golly. No, yeah, listen. Did we play the I, game I tell, already? You know what I mean? I tell people, I said, what I learned is the main objective is to make it to Sunday healthy. Mm-hmm. Period. That's it. <laughs> and the main objective in week 17, when your team isn't going to the playoffs, is to make it to free agency to the next all season unscathed. <laughs> yes, because if you tore an ACL in week 17, guess what? You ain't playing next year. You're not. Or if and you that- are, it's gonna if you are, it's gonna be late. Or you know, you better be a perennial pro bowler. Are we I, was, I believe one of the players from the Olivier Vernon. He might have just he just tore his ACL. He's a free agent next year in the last game of the season. Now it wasn't a meaningless game, but the point is he tore his knee and the same team that he helped battle and fight to get to the playoffs. They're going to be like, hey, man, t- don't worry. We're going to sign you to a free agent deal. Let you rehab on out. No. <laughs> why, now you're damaged why, goods. Why are you talking have, like that, though? <laughs> they have to <laughs> see how you feel. Yeah, you know how it goes. Ah, hey, oh, man, they're going to come in. Hey, sorry. So, hey, sorry, man. You know, we're here with you. You know, and that's what they're going to tell you. And then they're going to be like, oh, his knee isn't healing right. You know, that's just how this business works. But I think it's more important for fans to know guys care about the game. They at do. all time, it matters, right? It does matter, but the players that were talking about dignity and all of these things, they're lying. <laughs> fans, fans know that too. Like, if someone came to work, they're like, "Hey, man, we have an important project. When is it due? It's due next Friday. All right, you know, I'll work on it in a couple of days. When is it due? It's due tomorrow. All right, you know, let me get." <laughs> Right. But there's people that might get it done now, so they have time to not worry about next Friday, you know, or they might do it because time is pressure. You know, I, I look at it like my wife, she always helps out. She always helps our son with his homework and he has projects that are due in like two weeks and they try to knock it out ASAP, you know? Yes, they have, they have a window, they have time, you know, to do it. So I kind of feel like when, when fans look at it, like players almost like it's meaningless. It's like, no, nah, it's just, it just all depends on, on certain things. So um, it's, it's funny, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like, glad yeah, that man. you had the opportunity for you to come on out here and talk some noise a little bit, because I knew you were going to keep it real. I appreciate all the stories that you shared. Yeah. And uh, cause I tell people, I don't, everything, everything I speak about is from experience. I've seen it all. <laughs> and I'm not out here like talking all this nonsense on social media to like, to be funny. I'm like, but, or to just lie to, you know, to lie, to get likes. Like I don't do it for likes. I do it because it's the truth. You know, it's, right. it's so funny when I said something a few days ago, like, okay, your new, your new quarterback is going to be based on whoever the head coach or GM is. That's just how nowadays. That's, that's how it works. Nowadays. I look at the Arizona situation, right? They had a first round pick Josh Rosen, the guy Cliff Kingsbury. He's like, no, 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 no. I want Kyler Murray. 
I want Kyle Murray. So right. you, you you go get Kyle Murray. So people are like, oh, the Jags are going to get Trevor Lawrence or, you know, the Jets are going to keep Sam Donald. It depends who's going to go there. The, you know, if the, if someone goes to – and what's the name? Doug, Douglas just said it. You know Douglas, right, Joe Douglas? Were you with yeah, him? Yeah, that's my guy. Yeah, and he went there, which is why he's gonna he's gonna flip that place around. He's just chilling right now, so people are on his head. But he's the right man because he's seen what it looks like everywhere. And you were with him in both places, Philly he's and Baltimore. Re- Joe huh? Douglas is one of the reasons why I was a Baltimore Raven. So I love Joe like family. He is the reason why I went to Philadelphia. You know, I haven't told a lot of people that, but yep. I had the opportunity to, to go back to Baltimore and. It was a little, I was on the fence. I was on the fence. And I honestly, I wanted to go to Baltimore. But it had came, the opportunity happened after I had already told Joe Douglas that I would come. So my agent hadn't told him that. I told him that. So I couldn't, you know, lie and not give him my word. And, you know, honestly, in Baltimore, it was even a better opportunity. And I, I never wanted to leave Baltimore in the first place. So... Right. Uh, but I, I gave him my word. You know, I, I love him to death like family and uh, I trust him. And it led to another Super Bowl. So shout out to Joe Douglas. Uh, he always had my back. <laughs> the Jets fans should be excited because they have a good one. No, they are. When they made that move, I was like, you guys just wait. Because, again, when you're a new GM, this is your evaluation period. You see what happens. You can't make all these crazy uh, things like we're, we're trying to win now because you're like you probably got there knowing like, OK, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. Because he just said, too, he said the new quarterback is going to be based on what the new head coach wants. You know, we got to be on the same page. So, yeah, as much as everyone loves Sam Donald, if this new coach is like, no, 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 like, I like this guy, that's how it's going to work. The whole the whole thing with Haskins, when everyone's like, oh, you know, they did him dirty or blah, blah. It's like Ron Rivera came in like, this kid has to convince me to stay because I already moved on from him. So he pretty much has to do show me that he can be the guy, which will be beneficial for all of us. Because Okay, now we got our quarterback. Right. You know, he, so it was actually up to Haskins to prove him otherwise. Because, again, you have a new regime. Everyone's under evaluation. That's just how it works. That's just keeping it real. And if y'all want to know where to keep it real, you know whose Twitter page to go to. At Will Blackman. <laughs> He's going to keep it real at all times. Y'all know my page. At WR. And as always, appreciate y'all for tuning in. Will, I appreciate you for coming on, man. Got to get you back on here. Talk about Dude, life. Any, yeah, any And I'm sober, man, uh, so I can appreciate wine, the wine conversation from a sober perspective. So I learned a lot today. Thank you. No, any, anytime, <laughs> man. Trust me. You know I got you, bro. All right. You have a good one. All right, man.